So we give a lot of credit to Ralphie and his quest for the little, you know, Red Ryder BB gun, right? But uh, before Ralphie, long before Ralphie, I, there's, there's a few of us that have tried the subtle hints to our parents to remind them what we want for Christmas. One of my favorite pastors, Chuck Swindoll, he's 85 years old. He says that the gift that he longed for more than anything else when he was a kid was a leather basketball. And so what he decided to do was, you know, the right thing. He, he clipped out articles and he kind of laid them out for his parents to see them in the morning, maybe a, you know, a coupon or two. And then, you know, he outright asked for it, but he felt like he wasn't getting enough traction. And so he disguised his voice and called like he was a neighbor, suggesting that Chuck deserves a basketball for Christmas this year. Isn't that great? Um, so, so a couple of days before Christmas, he tells the story that he, he found a, a box under the Christmas tree and it was the right shape and size. And, and so he was confident that the message had been well received by his parents. And so uh, they were one of those families that puts the gifts out under the tree ahead of time, which I think is a little crazy um, because there are some investigators that do some research, some market research on those gifts. So, so Chuck had decided he, knew, he, he was excited. He could just picture himself shooting this basketball and then Christmas. Christmas morning comes, he tears open the gift and finds that it's a globe. <laughs> so, so he says, you can't even shoot a globe, you know, you can't even dribble that thing. So can you, can you imagine, you know, 47 billion is a pretty big um, number. Uh, and that is the number, I want you to picture this, the, the number one requested gift is not a basketball. Um, has been for several years. The, um, they say that the number one requested gift isn't cash or nothing to do with Baby Yoda, but it involves gift cards, right? So $47 billion is what they estimate has gone unused in gift cards that have been given since 2005. So some of you are like, oh yeah, I got a few back home. I think I have one in my sock drawer. I'm not sure, right? So I want you to think about that for a minute. So a gift that's been given. There was a cost associated with this gift, and yet that gift doesn't necessarily hold any value. My, my little brother does, the, on the other side of the family, um, you guys are going to judge him for this, so I'm sorry, I'm just warning you. So my little brother did a, a, a secret Santa thing with his other side of the family, and he decided they were supposed to give a gift that was around $40, so he went to a store, you know, bought these two $20 gift cards and put them in a shoebox, and then he proceeded to fill the shoebox with gift cards that had nothing on them. All right, so, so he, he has this, he said it was like five pounds heavy, right? You know, so can you picture this poor recipient of this, right? So, so it, it doesn't hold value unless it's actually received, right? And this morning, as we focus our hearts to the advent of the Lord Jesus Christ, the precious gift that we, we talk about this John 3.16, for God so loved the world that he gave, right? But, but for you and I, part of the challenge of Christmas is that we have to accept the fact that this gift must be received. In the last two weeks, we focused in on the identity of Christ, the recognition that when we, when we think of his life, that he was 100% God, and 100% man, and that it matters to you and I, whether we recognize that fact or not. This morning, we're going to focus in on the legacy of Christ, and I want to define it this morning as a gift that has to be received. So we, we're familiar with the story, and today we're going to focus in on individuals who received the gift of the Lord Jesus Christ. We're going to historically go back in time to hear what Mary's response was to 
the, the recognition that the Lord Jesus Christ was going to be sent to, as a gift from God to her and how she responded to it. She received that gift. We're going to look at Joseph and his re receiving that gift. But we're going to also talk about individuals who were exposed to that truth. King Herod would be one of them, one, the, the villain of the story, right? That he hears the, he hears the advent of the Christ. He hears the message. The wise men who did receive it are pursuing this person. And ultimately, Herod does something that's fascinating to me. He says, I want to find this Christ so I can worship him. And so what we know is that he knew what Jesus deserved. But what we also know is that he wanted to destroy him. So we have a recipient of the gospel that chooses to not only deny it, but ultimately that chooses to be directly in opposition of it. The sad thing, the one that I hope challenges each one of us this morning is that there were a group of people, probably the majority of the people that saw the star, heard the story, had, ridden, had read the scriptures ahead that were told that the scribes and Pharisees anticipated that Jesus was gonna be born in Bethlehem, and yet they were just completely and entirely indifferent. Just didn't matter didn't do anything. They didn't take the time to go check it out. And so this morning, we're going to talk about two different contrasts to how an individual can choose to receive the precious gift, or they can choose to ignore it. And I hope for you, as we study this passage together, that you be reminded of the fact that, that as we make this decision, it makes a tremendous difference in our lives. That the way we choose to respond to the message of Christ has a tremendous impact, and partially because of the fact that the Lord Jesus doesn't force himself upon us. But he gives us the privilege of choosing to respond, and that was Mary's story. What we accept is that Mary chose to receive the Lord Jesus Christ through her humble acceptance of God's will. We, we sing a song that says, the meek will receive him. And I, I want to emphasize this more, like that, that, that Mary chose to say, Lord, let your will be done. If you have your Bibles, I'm going to invite you to turn with me to the book of Luke in the beginning of chapter one. And as we read Luke chapter one, I want to stop on the way just to point out a few details. You've heard this read hundreds of times, maybe in your life. You've heard it this season many times. We've read this passage here in this church, but, but have you heard the story of response that Mary gives in response to what God was going to say. Her life was about to change pretty significantly. What we see in verse 26 is this. <clears throat> in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph. We know the story that that they were married but not married. In that culture and context, when she accepted the invitation to marry Joseph, that she was, they were, they were um, considered uh, in such a significant relationship that it would require a divorce to break it up. But at this point, they weren't doing those things that could make children. And so they are in the process of Joseph establishing his home in order for Mary to come and to live, live in it. And so we see this in verse 28. And the virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her, and he said, this is the angel, greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. But Mary was greatly troubled at the saying, and she tried to discern what type of greeting this might be. So, so Mary's nervous. He just came to her and he said, Mary, you are a favored one. She, 
She's humble enough to say, what does this mean? We haven't even gotten to the part of what God's going to do through Mary. But what we see is that Mary was a deeply humble person. It says in verse 30, And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. I don't know if at that moment when she heard that, if Mary was calculating what this was really going to cost her or not. I don't know if at this moment Mary was, was thinking about her reputation, her identity, her family dynamics, her future marriage, what this meant. But in verse 32, what we see is that he, the angel goes on to say, and he will be great and will be called the son of the most high. And the Lord God will give him the throne of his father, David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom, there will be no end. And Mary said to the angel, how will this be since I am a virgin? And the angel answered her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you. The power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. Then, then God, the, the master teacher, chooses to show the power of God and what he had done through Elizabeth. And behold, your relative Elizabeth in her old age has also conceived a son. And this is the sixth month. And with her, who is called barren, for nothing will be impossible with God. And Mary said, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. Just, just look at those words. So she just heard that her life is going to experience a wrecking ball. Her life's going to change so much. It's, it's going to be a radical departure from what she thought the next few years were going to look like. But her response back was, behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. Mary chose to worship the Lord through her obedience. A few verses later in Luke 1:46, she says this. She says, my soul magnifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God, my Savior. She heard what was said. She listened to it. it. She obeyed it. She received it. She's a beautiful example of that. I think so often for you and I, we are people who love to, okay, I won't pick on you. I'll pick on me. I love to pray. My will be done, right? I, I love to say, all right, God, we got, we got this stuff going on. Can you just help this to pan out the way that I expect to go? And here, what we see is the contrast of that. So the way that William Barclay puts it, he says, he says that Mary had learned to forget the world's most common prayer, right? That's just normal. Give me what I want, what I deserve. Your will be changed. That's what we say. But Mary prayed with the greatest prayer of all, thy will be done. And she receives this gift from the Lord. And we celebrate the fact that she was used by the Lord in this way. Now, I don't know about you, but um, when it comes to purchasing gifts, my wife and I are a little bit different on this. And we found this out when we registered for our wedding. Uh, what we found out is that I am a consumer reports kind of guy, right? I, if I'm going to purchase something, especially something that's over like five bucks, I want to find out if I'm getting a quality product, right? And so I do research. I love to, you know, I don't just read reviews, but I read reviews to try to figure out if this is really a person who's reviewing. The, and no one else is like me here. Um, well, for the rest of you, you're like my wife, who we um, almost got in a serious fight when we were um, registering for our wedding, right? Because we just had different approaches to this. So, so Mary's response 
was one of just let it be. But what we see when we turn to the story of Joseph is that Joseph was a man who pondered these things. So we, we don't know that much about Joseph, but what we do know is that in his story, we, we heard about Elizabeth earlier, his, her, Elizabeth's husband, when he received this message, it ended up uh, having, he had to go through a season where he had to come around to it. But here, Joseph, what we see is Joseph asks these, these questions. He's, he's in the middle of this. He, he's pondering what it means for him to respond appropriately. And what I love about him, and some of you in this room can relate to this, is that he, he's heard maybe the message of the Messiah coming someday, but now he has to really ask some hard questions about it. He has to ponder it and consider it, especially because this is coming very close to home for him. And so what we see in the text is that Joseph receives the Lord um, through his humble obedience. And this is an act of obedience for him. Look in the text with me in Matthew chapter 1, beginning in verse 19. It says, And her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. So that was the, the first action. The spontaneous action was, I'm just going to divorce her. And, and this was a generous gift that he was to do to try to protect her reputation. In verse 20, it says, But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear. Take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. Now his mind would have been blown. Say, What? What? This had never happened before. But in verse 21, we see that the angel goes on to say, she will bear a son and you shall call his name Jesus for he will save his people from their sins. If we move ahead to verse 24, it says this, when Joseph woke from his sleep, he was in a dream, experienced a dream. He did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. Took his wife, he knew her not until she had given birth to a son and he called his name Jesus. So Joseph's obedience was one that required him to wrestle with it a bit. And for some of you, when it comes to the gospel, as we talk about them receiving the baby Jesus, the recognition of the incarnation of the Lord Jesus Christ, obviously the thing that the Lord asks you and I to believe has happened a couple thousand years later and it involves the cross and, and his promise that he came to seek and to save that which was lost and for some of us in the room, when we heard the gospel for the first time, we, we had to wrestle with it. Uh, some of my favorite authors were people who were agnostics or atheists that, that thought that God couldn't be known or that, that God doesn't exist. And yet they wrestled with the questions. And ultimately, what we find is that there's really good answers to the deepest questions of our lives. And ultimately, they come to a conclusion that says, I will trust in the Lord. I love Tim Keller in his book, The Reason for God, talks about intellectual hurdles that we wrestle with for some of us to come to a point where we can accept Christ. I just want to challenge you this morning. If that's you, do the wrestling. Next week on Tuesday, when we gather together for Christmas Eve, we're going to talk about this decision that we have to make in our lifetime. The ultimatum of God is that we have a choice to make in response to the gospel. And the timeline that that decision has to be made has to be done in our lifetime. The challenge is we don't know how long we're going to have a lifetime, right? And so we have a decision that we have to make in our lifetime in response to the gospel. And this morning, I want to challenge you, if you're that person that says, I've got tough questions. I don't always like Christians. Christians have done some things that are painful in the history of the world. I don't know if this is good. 
ask the questions. And I assure you that as you wrestle with it, if you include the Lord in the process, that pondering process can become something that draws you to the foot of a God that loves you and is not afraid of your questions. I love that King David was described as a man after God's own heart. Then if you read the Psalms, you realize like half of the time they're arguing, it feels like. He's going, God, why? What's going on? I don't understand. Help me to understand. And I think that that's a hint as to what it means for us to be people, for some of us that have to wrestle, not just immediately receive. Maybe you're like Mary. I, I trust you, God. You're good. This is good. I trust you. But for others in this room, it may be that you have to ponder and wrestle with this decision. Joseph considered the consequences of obedience. I think he knew, he knew that this was going to cost him a ton. But the angel shared God's will with Joseph that, that ultimately would mean that this was going to be the Messiah, that he's going to be the source of salvation for the sins of mankind. I just love these words. He did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. Now, not everybody who heard the message of the Christ received it. We know that there were some, like, like the, the wise men that we sing about, that, that were individuals that saw these signs that, that, that responded. There's others that responded to the message of Christ. But there's going to be some that ultimately say, we don't want it. We're not interested in what you're offering. Now, I have a confession to make. I have lost my one-click Amazon Prime privileges um, because my, my wife made me uh, give up those privileges because of this. I can tell you that it is possible on Amazon to find an over $2,000 croquet set. Um, and I can also tell you that I accidentally ordered a $2,000 croquet set from England. Um, so my wife in the next morning, my dad loves croquet, you know, generous guy. It was around Christmas a couple years ago. We were getting ready to go out of town, of course. And I, uh, I still don't think I clicked the one click, but Amazon believes I clicked the one click. And so uh, they, my wife, the next morning, she's like, what did you buy for $2,000 on Amazon? Um, and, and so uh, Amazon and I had a conversation and we had another conversation, another conversation. Uh, and basically they said that this thing had already shipped. And so it came to my porch. I didn't even open it up, right? Okay. I ended up shipping it back and it cost a couple hundred dollars to ship back to England. Can you feel my pain? A few of you can feel my pain. After the first service, a few people shared their stories. None of them were as bad as this one, though. <laughs> but but um, you know that I tried everything, right? I tried all of the method. I called, I called the person, the company that makes $2,000 croquet sets in England. Um, but, but, but for some of us, when it comes to the gospel, when it comes to the advent of the Lord Jesus Christ, that we're going to respond to that message like Herod did. Herod had a tinge of selfishness. He chose to really make it about him, that he chose to be really antagonistic to the advent of the Lord Jesus Christ. We know the story, but it's worth us looking at. So, so in his response, I don't want it, it carried with it a, a rejection of the Christ, that Herod rejected him through his direct hostility what we see in the text, if you turn with me to Matthew chapter 2, uh, beginning in verse 1, we see this. Now, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born the king of the Jews? 
for we saw a star when it rose, and we've come to worship him. Again, these guys are responding to the the message of the Christ. Verse 3, when Herod the king heard this, he was troubled, and all Jerusalem with him, and and assembling all the chief priests and the scribes and the people, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. And they told him, in Bethlehem of Judea, for so it was written by the prophet, and you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah, for from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. The snapshot's amazing. So, so Herod is, is trying to find out where the Christ is, and, and he asks the scribes, the religious leaders, the people who'd grown up around all of this stuff for their life, and they totally have the right answer. It's gonna be Bethlehem. But what's fascinating is they do nothing about it. Now, I love this story that there was a Sunday school teacher that, um, that any of you grew up in the era of the flannel graph like me, uh, where you had a Sunday school teacher that used these little, f- yeah, it was wonderful. Um, but, but generally, you started to learn over time that the answer was almost always Jesus, right? So I, I love the story of the kid who's in class and the teacher's trying to illustrate something about stewardships and stewardship and uh, hard work, and, and so his illustration is going to involve a squirrel. And so he says to the kids, um, do any of you know what is brown and furry? It's small. It eats acorns, it, and, and nobody's raising their hand, and so he just keeps going. He, you know, it's a, it lives in tree. He just keeps going on, and then finally one kid raises his hand, and he says, you know, I think the answer is Jesus, but it, it sounds an awful lot like a squirrel. <laughs> You know, the, the, the scribes and the Pharisees totally knew what the answer was, right? They knew that, that the prophecies in Scripture, which ought to encourage us, said it's going to be Bethlehem. When I was visiting Israel, uh, when I was in college, or in between college and seminary, I, I did the walk from Bethlehem to Jerusalem. It's not that far of a distance, but they, they don't do it. They, they don't do anything. They don't even respond. So here Herod responds in a, in a tremendously negative way. He, he decides that he's going to attack Christ. And as the story goes in verse seven, but these other scribes and Pharisees, they just choose to ignore him. So then Herod summoned the wise men secretly and ascertained from them what time the star had appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem saying, go and search diligently for the child And when you have found him, bring to me word, this is fascinating, that I might worship him. So Herod was smart enough to know about the Messiah. He was smart enough to know that there was going to be someone who was going to, supposed to come to Israel that was to be called the king of kings. And so he knows the right response to the Christ is worship, right? He says it right here. I want to find him so I can worship him. But instead, what he does, if we, if we move ahead to verse 16, we know the story that the, the wise men choose not to come back. They find Christ. It's an amazing story. But in verse 16, then Herod, when he saw that he had been tricked by the wise men, became furious, and he sent and killed all the male children in Bethlehem and all that region who were two years old or under, according to the time that he had ascertained from the wise men. So, so Herod's response is one of manipulation, tries to protect himself. He, he sees this only from the lens of his own selfish interest, even though he understood that worship was what God deserved. I like the way one theologian puts it. He says, 
Can you imagine for a minute that a person goes to the doctor, they're sick, they're very sick, and they, they go to the doctor and they spend time, they do all these tests, and the doctor finally makes a diagnosis of what, what the sickness is, and then they prescribe the treatment, that it's a, they need to take a pill. And so the person takes the prescription, they go to the pharmacy, they get it, they bring it home, and then they never choose to take the medicine. I think that, that that's, all, that's the way that, that this response to the Christ can be for some of us, is that we know it's the solution. It's the right answer. It's been diagnosed. It's clear. And yet we choose to say, yeah, not today. Probably more haunting for me than Herod. I, I haven't had that stage in my life where I was directly in opposition of the gospel, received Christ when I was young. But, but one of the things that haunts me is the response of the Pharisees, the religious people of the day that were exposed to Christ, but they responded to him with just indifference. Like, they weren't willing to make the trip to go check this out. So the, the wise men are traveling across the world to come see the king of kings, and they are not willing to go across the way in Israel to go see him. Verse three says this of, of Matthew chapter three, or chapter two, verse three. When Herod the king, I'm repeating this because I want you to catch the scribes and the Pharisees part. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled and all Jerusalem with him. And assembling, assembling <clears throat> all the chief priests and scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. And they told him in Bethlehem of Judea, for so it is written by the prophet and you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, you are by no means least among the rulers of Judah, for from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Now friends, this, this morning I want to challenge you that, that as we're surrounded by the lights and the stories and the carols and the, the, there's so many people talking about Christ right now, right? Are you amazed sometimes the, the Christmas cards that people who don't believe in Christ send you, right? You're shocked. They, they're describing the details of the, the advent of the Lord Jesus Christ and what they're singing, what they're saying, what they're putting, but, but they're indifferent to the story of Christ. I love the way that one person puts it. He says, Richard Glover puts it this way, the remarkable thing about the chief priests and the scribes, apparently, is that the fact that they made no effort to check out Jesus' birth as the Magi did it is strange how much the scribes knew and what little use that they made of it. Can't help but, but confess that that's a part of my story sometimes, is that I'm surrounded by it, but I don't always choose to respond to it in an appropriate way. Now, what we accept this morning is that the gift of Christ must be received for us to experience hope. The verse that we, we read when we, when we uh, lit the candle this morning is a very simple one, but profound. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life. That God does not force himself upon you and I, but that he has made a way for us to receive the gift of salvation. The question for each one of us is, are we going to respond to that gift? So when we, when we study in God's word, passage after passage of scripture that teaches us the, the extent and the blessing of salvation, Romans 3.23 says, for all have sinned 
and fallen short of the glory of God. It reminds us of our need for Christ. But Romans 6.23 says, it kind of repeats that premise, for the wages of sin is death. That's what every one of us deserves. It's interesting that we keep the cross with us. The symbol of death, for the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. So, so there's a tie together between the two that he's saying, we all deserve death, but the gift of the Lord Jesus Christ was providing for us the opportunity to ex- experience the salvation that he offers. But he doesn't force this upon us. Romans 10, 9, and 10 says, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, then you will be saved. Last week, those of you who were here, we talked about Legion, a demon who identifies Christ and he, he calls him the son of God. And I had several of you afterwards, which I love when you're a Berean, when you, you study this and you go, well, wait a second, does that mean that that demon was a believer in Christ? Because he identified who Christ was. But it's so essential to catch. He knew who Christ was, but he did not believe in Christ. He knew who he was, but he didn't accept the gift of Christ. He'd made his decision already. God's word is really clear in John 1, 12. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. So when John, in the book of John, when the Lord Jesus is recorded as saying, for I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but through me. He's saying something that's tremendously important. And that coming to Christ involves us accepting the gift of the Lord Jesus Christ. Scripture is clear. So the question for you is one that is essential. And it was a question that ultimately the two individuals that were on the crosses, this, this Rembrandt drawing is beautiful. Like what, what were their decisions that they had to make? That there, there are two men on the cross with Christ. They're dying. They know their death sentence has been given to them. But one responds and mocks Jesus. He says, who do you think you are? He says, he, he, he actually articulates, aren't you the Christ? And he mocks him. Can you imagine they're dying. To get any breath out, they have to rip their hands and bleed and to, to say this. And he decided on his grave to mock the Lord Jesus Christ. The other man who was on that cross responded, says, don't you fear God? And, and then what we know is that that man chooses to accept Christ. And when he does, do you remember what the promise of the Lord Jesus is at that moment? So he says to that man, he says, truly this day you will be with me. What, do you remember it? In paradise. Jesus makes this promise to him. You know, it's, it's funny for, uh, we, we, we do baptisms here. I'm excited about a baptism service we're going to have early in the year next year. For some of you, you've been baptized. And, and when we get baptized, for most of us, it's in a church setting or maybe in Lake Erie where there's like a dead fish bouncing off us, you know? <laughs> But, but we, we, we don't, I've been in places where the decision to be baptized, now remember what baptism is, the Lord did this, which is fascinating, but remember what baptism is, is that it's taking an internal faith that we have and making it public, right? We're just, we're saying, I believe this, I believe this so much that I want to identify with the death, burial, and resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. It doesn't clean us, it's actually just a proclamation of our faith. And here, what we, what we see 
is that an individual who chooses to make that declaration, that, that declares their profession of faith, in some cultures around the world, they're putting that at risk their lives, their families, their jobs. Their... And here, for you and I to make that decision, to follow the Lord in obedience, in, in many ways what we're saying is that we're saying, I'm, I'm really take this truth as truth. I, I believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. In the book of John, when... when um, when Nicodemus comes to the Lord Jesus at night, he, he talks about this idea that you and I can be born again. I think that's the person who receives the message of the cross, that they're humble enough to follow the initial reception of the Lord Jesus Christ. Mary says, let it be. Joseph submits to God's leadership. But then we know that there are individuals who will be adamantly against the gospel. We know that. We don't assume that that's going to change anytime soon, but it doesn't make it a lie. And what scares me the most, what frightens me about my own life and, and the acquaintances that I have is that I'm afraid that for some of us, we can find ourselves in this indifferent mode. What's the big deal? And what we're forgetting is that we're just like that other person on the cross that that ultimately our life is passing. We only have a lifetime to make this decision. And when that decision is made, it makes all the difference in our lives. You know, earlier I, I mentioned the $46 billion. You know, you could buy the Cleveland Indians like 40 times if you had $46 billion. This gift is more precious than that. This is the gift of life. I love the song that we sing, O Little Town of Bethlehem. We're going to close the service this morning with O Little Town of Bethlehem. I just want to challenge you. Wherever you're at with this, I want to encourage you to be honest with the Lord. And we're going to end our service in a mode of response to the Lord. And as we, we sing this song, it's super familiar. Um, people who believe in Christ, don't believe in Christ, sing this song. But I want you to hear these lyrics. They're, they're profound to me. Phillips Brooks puts it this way. He says, how silently, how silently the wondrous gift is given. So God imparts to human hearts the blessing of heaven, of his heaven. No ear may hear his coming, but in this world of sin, where meek souls will receive him still, the dear Christ enters in. So we accept that that is what it takes for a person to not just know the truth of the Christ, to not just be exposed to it, but to be meek enough, humble enough, willing to say, Lord, I don't know what the details are, but I trust you. You know, that's partially, I love being a part of the Christian Missionary Alliance, part of why we give money to share the gospel around the world. We want to fund that because we believe that there's some people in our world today that have never heard the name of Christ. In our world, in our little place, we, we have tremendous access to his gospel. So for you as a recipient of the message of the Lord Jesus Christ, how are you responding to the gift of the Lord Jesus? Lord, we love you. We thank you for your word. We thank you that you promise us that it will not return void. I pray this morning against an indifference that has heard the familiar story and that has allowed it to breed contempt in our lives. Heard it again. It's, it's so common, so familiar that maybe it has lost its all, that it's lost its relevance in our life. I just believe that's a lie. 
I pray for each of our hearts that we would follow in the footsteps of Mary and Joseph and the wise men, the, the people who really said, yeah, we're going to take God at his word and we're going to let his will be done in our lives. I believe that that was the greatest decision that I ever made in my life. And I pray that for each person that's here, whether they've been dragged here by a family member, whether they're here of their own volition, maybe this is one of those times where they didn't expect to hear the voice of God in their life today, but may your voice be prominent. And I just pray that there would be a true, authentic, meek, humble acceptance of the precious gift of the Lord Jesus Christ. And I do pray for those in this room that are antagonistic, that are afraid, that see this through a different lens. Would they be willing to ask those questions that have uh, plagued their hearts and their minds, Lord? And would you bring great answers to the tremendous questions of our hearts? And would you remind us that you are the truth that sets us free? We love you. Uh, we celebrate the gift of the Lord Jesus Christ. And as we sing these lyrics to a familiar song, Lord, I pray that they would be our testimony of your goodness. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.